0: Greetings and welcome to another different church podcast. My name is Jarrett and I hope you are having an awesome day. I'm recording this intro at 1246 a.m. Sunday night slash Monday morning. Uh, Today was another really awesome day at church. Um, It's just it's been so cool lately. The room has felt really full. So I just want to say a huge thank you to everybody who's been out supporting um, the fact that people believe in what we're doing just means the world. So Thank you so much, and if you're listening to this podcast, thank you for listening and for being a part of what we're doing. Um, it's really cool creating this uh, different kind of church, and so just thanks for, thanks for everything. Um, not only was church awesome today, but I personally went to a birthday party that was celebrating like four birthdays in my extended family over the course of the past few weeks, and it was really cool went swimming took a boat ride some of our band was actually there because it was a milestone birthday for my brother-in-law who turned 50. so uh, a couple of the guys from the band uh will and dave came out uh plus another guy named dan and a different church was represented well at the party so you should be proud of how awesome the band is they came out and played some jazzy stuff and it was really cool so all that uh all that being said Believe it or not, I'm not like completely and thoroughly exhausted right now. I feel good. I'm excited to be recording this intro, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for listening. Um, the past few weeks, you may have noticed I've been leaving music in the intro, and I'm gonna do that again today. I would love some feedback if you were listening to this and you have an opinion on the music. Um, let me know. Shoot us an email. Hello at diffchurch.com. Shoot us a DM on any of our social medias, it's diffchurch. Or you can email me directly, jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T-T, at diffchurch.com. Do you like the music? Uh, Is it a pain and you're just like skipping past it? Or does it uh, make things uh, more awesome? Uh, So today we are listening to a song called Wonder. It's by an artist named Fatai, which is one of Guyana's favorite artists. She actually introduced me to her. And I'm honestly, it feels like it's Gianna making music like this feels like the type of stuff that she makes um, Anyway, it's called Wonder by Fatai. Check it out And then after we're going to come back to me for a second and then jump to Hannah
1: Through space and time, cadence and rhyme These words fall dead on these December, can I So out of this world, just closer than my breath. Awaken, no wonder within me, come alive inside my skin. My senses go out for a glimpse of your beauty. I taste that yeah. air, Like the window through my heart, just don't care. So free like a bird, I find yeah. so.
0: Wonder by Fatai. Thank you so much for listening. How freaking cool is the band? Um, Okay, as I promised, Hannah is coming up next, but we actually have a guest speaker today named Olivia. She's really cool, uh, but I wanted to play some of Hannah's welcome for you because she has kind of a special announcement about next week. Um, Before we get to that, one slight warning. We've been having some problems with our microphone that the speaker wears. The, you know, the one that's like goes on the cheek. Uh, we kind of fixed it this week and it started sounding a little bit better. However, the mic definitely fell off of Olivia's ear and uh, it doesn't sound too bad, but if you hear a little bit of interference here and there, it could be her hair messing with it. Uh, anyway, it's not terrible, but just be aware if, if you hear anything, it's because the microphone fell off her head. Anyway, thank you again so much for listening. Here is Hannah and then Olivia will be next.
2: I have a kind of an important sad announcement and I, maybe you have watched the news and we, tip, we have been following pretty much the CDC guidelines on what to do with the Rona um, and they're recommending that we wear masks. I think we can collectively all just agree that that sucks. Like, we can take a moment and just acknowledge that like, this is not what we wanted to happen. Uh, we don't want to have to do this anymore. Also, it's August and it's really dang hot. Um, everyone is so, you know, just missing the face sweat, right? You're just missing that. You need that back in your life. <laughs> but the numbers in Pinellas County are pretty high right now. Um, and, of course, the CDC is recommending in hot spots we wear masks. So, starting next week, I wanted to give you guys a little warning. I know pretty much everyone that I have talked to is vaccinated here. so. Just in case someone is not, we want to be careful of that while the numbers are high in Pinellas County. So this is what we are going to do. This is our plan. I'm going to send an email. uh, (laughs) I'm going to send an email. Wow, words are hard. To everyone tomorrow, reaffirming the same thing, please bring your mask next Sunday. Um, And if you're a set-up or tear-down volunteer and you're vaccinated, it will be the same. You don't have to wear a mask until other people start coming in the building. Um, And then we will reevaluate every few weeks. So if the numbers drop to reasonable levels in Pinellas County, then we'll lift that. And this may just be something you know we have to deal with, which is just like the, our favorite thing, right? We're just so excited about this. So with that exciting announcement, I actually have, oh, one more. Jarrett told me an extra announcement this morning. Next week, we're going to have weird music. I don't know what that means. (laughs) That was his exact quote to me. We're having weird music. But of course, you've heard them play, and they're fabulous. So anything they do is going to be great. So definitely come for that. And we have a really special treat for you today. A topic that has been requested a lot is boundaries. Boundaries when it comes to personal life. Boundaries when it comes to faith and church hurt. A lot of us are recovering evangelicals. People have done some stuff to us in the name of Jesus. Perhaps we have done some stuff to other people in the name of Jesus. And so that's the topic for today, and we have a guest speaker. She has been with us twice before. We had a panel on mental health, and then she spoke for me the Sunday before Nova popped out. I wasn't really in any great condition to, like, bring the word of the Lord (laughs) when I was nine months pregnant. So she is going to come. Her name is Olivia. She is the owner of Sunshine City Counseling, which is right here in downtown St. Petersburg, and I personally think she's fabulous, and I think you... Like, I don't need to tell you about everything. Like, there are other people who are wiser than me and have more information than me, and Olivia has so much wisdom, and I'm so thrilled that she's here. So will you just give her a hand,
3: and I'm going to bring her up here. Well, good morning. Yeah, I always am like, are they going to talk back to me, or am I going to just awkwardly proclaim things? I don't know. Um, but yeah, like like Hannah said, my name is Olivia. I've been here a couple of times. And I'm just always so grateful that you guys continue to invite me back. It's always kind of shocking. Um, I'm like, well, I guess I didn't mess it up that bad last time. So it's great. Um, I'm really glad for those of you who are with us in person and for those of us who are tuning in online, um, just wanted to give you a special welcome and say we're so glad that you're joining us here um, at Different Church. This is a very... <laughs> different message, like Hannah was saying. uh, We're going to be talking about spiritual abuse and boundaries and lots of other things for sure. Um, But just as a caveat, that a lot of the stuff that we're going to talk about this morning, I'm under no assumption that there are people in here who probably have endured some form of spiritual abuse. Me, you, you, all of us right and so anytime that we talk about some really hard things like abuse or trauma it's really 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 important that you pay attention to what's happening in your own body right I mean I'm a therapist of course she's gonna say that right but also I would be doing a disservice if I just talked pretty casually about trauma or spiritual abuse. So if at any point over the next I don't know how long I'm going to talk, and I don't have a phone, so like this is going to be dangerous 20 or 30 minutes or so, uh, you start feeling like you, you know, that anxiety kind of in your belly, or that cold feeling that washes over you, or you get really hot, sometimes like I do, and I'm like, "Why am I sweating? Um, I just want to bless you to like get out of here. Take a walk leave altogether go to the bathroom for a long extended period of time it doesn't matter to me I don't want you to feel ashamed for having to leave because that can be also awkward right Um, especially kind of in a smaller setting Uh, it can feel like oh my gosh I'm dying but I can't leave I just want you to honor yourself in your personhood this morning so again if at any point in time that you feel triggered or you're feeling all kinds of a certain way please get out of here this is being recorded. You can come back and digest it in small pieces because, again, this stuff is not easy. I mean, even putting this together, I'm like, oh, my gosh, like, what do I say? How do I say this? There's so much, right? And so I also know that, like, this is very much a flyover of what we're going to be talking about. So if at any point in time you're like, man, she really missed the ball on that. I, I, I know. I probably did. Um, and that's okay. <laughs> um, but also, I think it's also easy for us to kind of assume when we talk about spiritual abuse Um, or the ways in which the church has hurt us, it's really easy to say, man, Christianity sucks. Jesus, ugh. And that would be just an oversimplification, I think, um, of our collective experiences and our individual experiences to kind of throw the baby out with the bathwater. I don't know where that saying comes from, but like growing up in Texas, they said that all the time, so I'm going to use it here. But if it applies, great. If it doesn't, don't tell me. But... um, But yeah, and so it's really important for sure that you guys know I'm a therapist. But I think for sure beyond that, the most important thing about me is that I absolutely love Jesus. And I think he's good. And I think a lot of churches have done us a disservice and have hurt us. I think there's a lot of spiritual leaders who have also hurt us. But I don't want that to get in the way of the goodness that is Jesus. And so I hope that by the end of this talk, because we're going to walk through some stuff, that you leave feeling like, man, I felt really heard and seen, but also like there is good news, because there is. Because, again, I think an oversimplification would be to say all of Christianity, all the things of Jesus are bad, and that's just not what we're going to talk about today. We're going to get into it for sure, but hold that truth that Jesus is still good, Um, and there is goodness still to be had um, in the church, and I think that some of you guys would probably agree that that's actually happening here at different churches. is really cool. Um, Okay, so to start, what the heck is spiritual abuse? Because I know there are still some people, it's still staggering to me, but there are still some people who are like, spiritual abuse? That's not a thing. That can't happen. Well, it can, and it is happening for sure. So spiritual abuse is very generally the manipulation of power. It's someone or something that is speaking on behalf of God. In short, it's weaponizing the Bible to gain power and to gain control. Uh, Rachel Clinton Chen is a therapist over at the Allender Center in Seattle, Washington. If you don't know about the Allender Center, get on your phone and start following their podcast because they got such good stuff. But um, this is what she says. This is how she defines spiritual abuse. She says, we define spiritual abuse as the use of religious or spiritual power and authority to control, coerce, or perpetuate harm. In many ways, spiritual abuse is a distortion or an exploitation of God's power and authority to manipulate or control others' bodies, personhood, relationships, and autonomy through the tools of shame and fear. Spiritually abusive systems and organizations and spiritually abusive people use things like the Bible, religious texts, theology, and practices to harm relationally, between you and I, emotionally, and physically. So, I mean, we could probably just end right there. Like, that's that, right? Uh, That's a pretty comprehensive overview. But um, just in case that feels you know, superfluous or kind of like, yeah, that's like out there. That doesn't happen. Like, I I haven't personally known that, right? There's a book. It's called When Narcissism Comes to Church. It's fantastic. I mean, as far as like, you know, hard, heavy things in church go. Um, But there's three, there's a lot of stories in here, but I picked these three um, that I just wanted to read just in case, you know, again, it's like, ah, that doesn't feel quite on the nose yet, right? Um, So let me read this really fast. When Paul was fired from his first pastoral position after three years, his body felt stiff and frozen. Hired to be mentored by the lead pastor and eventually deployed as a church planter in the city he felt called to, he felt strung along over three years, disempowered and exasperated in his work under Bart, a narcissistic pastor. Was Bart threatened by him? He wasn't sure, but he heard whispers that the church plant would never happen. When he asked for a meeting to address his concern, Bart agreed. But when he showed up, Bart was seated beside a lawyer, a senior elder in the church who presented Paul with non-disclosure and non-compete agreements he would have to sign on the spot in order to receive a short three-month severance. Failure to sign would mean immediate termination and a not-so-subtle threat by the lead pastor to tarnish Paul's reputation in the planting network that had originally affirmed his gifts. His hands shaking, Paul picked up the pen and signed. Bart smiled affirmatively, extended his hand, and said, Blessings, brother. You will land on your feet. Stacey entered her third year at a conservative seminary, hopeful that it would be different. God bless her. (laughs) While a few men in her class supported her, many others were adamant about their views regarding female pastoral leadership. One of the pastors seemed hell-bent on making her experience intolerable. The system itself seemed to conspire against her success, but she pressed on, hoping to attain her master of divinity and pursue ordination. But it began again. Anonymous notes left on her desk, hostile comments in class, a low grade on a paper she felt deserved an A, comments like, well, at least she's super nice to look at. As the semester unfolded, she experienced growing depression, insomnia, and panic each day as she entered the seminary building. And this last one, this doesn't make you jump up out of your seat and, you know, do one of these. Heather sat with her husband, Len in their pastor's office that they'd done dozens of times before. The walls of that office held the secrets of a marriage filled with terror. Loud, drunken outbursts by Len late at night after coming in from his shop in the garage. Abusive comments about her appearance or cooking or parenting, then promising that he would get his act together. Or, you know, recommit to praying and reading his Bible regularly, because that's what is needed. (laughs) Each time, Pastor Tom encouraged Heather to forgive and do her part. To heal the marriage. This time, Lynn ashamedly admitted that he had made out with a girl at the bar two nights prior, stumbling through a face saving apology. Heather, clear and strong, said, No more. I'm done, Lynn. You need to pack your bags tonight and stay with your brother while I figure this out. Quickly, Pastor Tom interjected, Now, Heather, you're not going to kick out a repentant man. Maybe you need to assess your own unforgiving heart. Those are three very, very real examples. Of spiritual abuse in different settings for sure but abuse of power that is wielded in order to gain control and to coerce others and so what makes up right like what are the elements of spiritual abuse there's far more than what we could talk about in this morning and so I'm only gonna list off a couple and again a lot of this comes from Rachel Clinton Chen's work as well as Chuck DeGroat's work in this book Um, but the first I think is super important Um, it's embodied that there is this real sense that when trauma happens, it doesn't just happen in our minds, right? Like I don't just live through an experience and I, and I can see those images in my brain like the rest of me is unaffected. Even in the beginning of this talk, right? I talked about if you feel a particular way, you feel a coldness kind of coming over your body or you feel hot or you know, your heart is, is racing, that is your body reaction Letting you know that something feels really familiar here. Probably not a good feeling either. And that's another word of what we would say you're being triggered. And I think in a lot of ways, the evangelical church, probably more so the conservative wing of things, have really done us a disservice because they've said, you know what? Your bodies are bad. Your bodies don't tell you anything. Just press on. Like, I shouldn't feel this upset, I shouldn't feel this overwhelmed. <sighs> I shouldn't feel as anxious or depressed. I should just pray harder. Wow, we could talk a lot about that. But needless to say, trauma that happens, it happens in our bodies. It is an embodied experience. It doesn't just happen in our brains. Peter Levine is a trauma expert. He says, trauma is not what happens to us, but what we hold inside in the absence of an empathetic witness. It's why when there are two kids and they both go through the exact same form of sexual abuse, almost always there will be one kid that feels very traumatized and will walk that out for the rest of their lives. There's another kid, again, same experience, will not feel nearly as traumatized at all. Why? The major difference between those two kids is the fact that one feels supported and seen by an older adult or caregiver or parent, and the other had no one. They were all alone. And so when we feel trapped, because man, even right now, right, it gives me goosebumps. Because again, I I know that I'm not the only one, and there's not just one of you out here that has experienced some form of abuse or trauma right? And what happens, especially in spiritual abuse, it makes you feel crazy, right? You feel like you're all alone, which is why it's super important. We'll get to this later of like, so what do we do after church hurt? It's incredibly important to have a community around you, The next kind of piece of spiritual abuse is the sense of power and control. Again, you've heard me talk about that, and you probably felt it very palpable in those stories of spiritually abusive leaders demand power and control. This is how they manage their inner circle. You begin to notice this, or you butt up against it, when you maybe ask questions in a church setting or in a spiritual kind of setting, and immediately you're shut down, or you're told, "Um, that's not what we do here, or you're shamed. Or you're told, you know, you are, you're going against the Bible. Again, that weaponizing, right? You are, you are sinning. You don't want to do that. And, and this sense of fear that you're going to be cast out of the community. And so what does that often do to us? Well, it causes us to be real quiet pretty quickly. It's an incredibly uh, powerful way uh, to exert abuse over someone else is by gaining power and control over them. Diane Langberg um, is an incredible psychologist who does a lot, has done a lot of work around uh, the construct of power, and she has gotten a lot more airtime now recently, um, particularly within the evangelical world, as she's kind of written books specifically of like, you guys are being spiritually abusive. Um, And she says that the mantra of a narcissistic spiritual leader is, I am bigger, I am better, and I have no interest And understanding my impact on you, except insofar as you can feed my ego. The next thing that they use so incredibly well is shame and fear. I don't know of more powerful tools, not good ones, but more powerful tools to use to keep someone on lockdown than when you shame them. So shame, Brene Brown kind of defines it this way. Guilt is, man, I did something bad. Like, ah, I shouldn't have eaten five cookies before dinner. You know, that was not a good idea. Shame is the sense that I and who my personhood is, I am bad. Not just I did something as an extension of myself, but who I am. As Olivia, I am bad. And so they utilize this, this, this sense of shame and fear again, to keep people within the confines or the bounds of whatever their religious kind of rules and laws are. Chuck DeGroat uh, DeGroat talks about it as a sense of moralizing, right? Usually, these spiritually abusive leaders have these pretty rigid rules, and when we go outside of those, they're like, you're not living the way that God has called you to live, you know, you are sinning in all of these very punitive kinds of words that cause and cast a ton of shame and fear. Especially for those of us who have felt like, like, like outsiders, it's the last thing we want. We don't want to be cast out of this community, right? And yet, the spiritual leader, the spiritually abusive leader, is doing all that he or she can in order to keep you in because again, they have to have power and control. There's also this sense of like unquestioned hierarchy. It's actually dis, it's not empowering, it's disempowering. Those who are not in charge often are belittled or made to feel small um, or unenlightened or unintelligent that if you're on this you know, leadership staff, it's like wow, you're like in this elite Christian group kind of thing. Like I've worked with several clients who have been a part of varying you know, evangelical communities and there is a strong sense of like you know, I'm interning and I'm trying to get on this leadership team because that's, that's like where all the cool kids are. Like, like I'm closer to heaven kind of thing. But, but why did they fall for that? Well, because there's this sense of what the leader gave to those folks of like this sense of power and importance. And like this is what you should do and this is how you should do it. Spiritual abuse happens in the midst of spiritual formation, which is why it's so dang tricky, right? You're probably hearing this. I mean, I've heard so many stories of spiritually abusive communities, leaders, and systems. And I'm like, man, <laughs> like, that's bad. So just, like, get out. Like, no big deal, right? Um, again, that's quite an oversimplification spiritual abuse, I think, is one of the most insidious kinds of abuse because it is entangled in the midst of me trying to follow Jesus, me trying to pursue Jesus, me trying to understand how do I live my life and orient my life around Jesus. And there's this subtle kind of weaving in of abuse. Like it's so innocuous that you you don't even realize it, Right? Like I can't even tell you how many people I've sat with and they're like, I had no idea for like years, maybe even decades, until someone else kind of called BS on it. And I was like, oh, that's not what you do? Right, like it's it's so subtle, but the tricky thing is, is like they only tell half of the story. They only tell the condescending and the punitive parts of the story They don't actually tell you the whole story of the gospel because heaven forbid if they did that then they couldn't wield all the power and control that they would want, right? It, it causes a deep distrust of your own gut in your own heart. Remember what I said earlier, right? That I think one of the things <clears throat> the evangelical world has done is they've, they've separated our humanity and our personhood and said your bodies are bad. Like, you know, uh, the heart is, a, is evil above all else. Like, there's this is verse in Jeremiah, right, and everyone loves to quote that except, you know, context. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. But it causes, when you are in spiritually abusive settings, it causes you to distrust your own personhood. And your bodies are truth tellers, right? Like, if we look at the Bible, we look at the gospel, what does Jesus do but honor our humanity, all the time, over and over again. The hard part that when we come out of these spiritually abusive systems and communities and under these leaderships um, is that we have to learn how to find ourselves again. What can I trust, who can I trust? I can't trust anything, I can't trust anyone, right? And so oftentimes we avoid and we run. Um, in, uh, there's a book called Treat, Treating a Step Infection, Resolving Problems in Your Church and Ministry They have these quick characteristics. So again, if I haven't like proved my point yet, this hopefully will. But characteristics of a narcissistic leader or a spiritually abusive leader are all decision-making centers on them. So these are also things when you're hearing this to be mindful of when you go into other faith communities to see do these things match up or are they different, are they addressed even, right? All decision-making centers on them, impatience or a lack of ability to listen to others, Delegating without giving proper authority or too many limits. Feelings of entitlement, feeling threatened or intimidated by other talented staff. Needing to be the best and the brightest in the room, like a really good narcissist. Chuck Grote adds inconsistency and impulsiveness, dislike, praising, and withdrawing, which is the push-pull. It's the crazy-making. Intimidation of others and the sense of vulnerability. So how the heck does this happen? Because again, like when you hear these things, you're like, "That's terrible. Why would anyone be a part of that community? Why would anyone be under that leadership?" Right? If, I don't know if you guys are aware, have heard of the rise and fall of Mars Hill? It's an incredibly well-done podcast by Christianity Today. Um, it is incredibly gut-wrenching and difficult to listen to, honestly. Um, but as someone who back in the day really enjoyed Mark Driscoll, <laughs> right? Uh, I have found it to be shocking and not shocking at the same time, right? But you can listen to that kind of, uh, that podcast, the unfolding of all the abuse that Mark did in and around his church. And you can say, why were people into that? Like, why would people go to a church like that? Like, that's terrible. Like, this misogynistic, the sexist comments that he would make and, like, just this profound abuse that was spewing out everywhere that we can now see looking back. It's like, well, how does this happen? And here's the thing. As humans, again, Brene Brown says this. She says, um, the two things that are needed for humans to survive, and not just survive, but to really flourish in this world, is a sense of belonging and acceptance. Like, that is, that's what makes us human. And the reason why we fall prey to spiritually abusive communities and settings is because they promise belonging and acceptance. And then they exploit it. Because they know that you can't resist that, right? As a human, like, like there are brands that I'm like, man, I am into that, I will buy all of those clothes because there's this sense of otherness, this sense that something is bigger than myself, right? this belonging to something outside of myself. It's why for so long I wanted to join the military and my then boyfriend was like, I'm praying against you, I'm getting all my friends to pray against you because you're not doing that. And I'm like, but the sense of otherness, you know? I love that. Like, I love being a part of something bigger than myself. That's thats how this kind of thing happens, right? It's a sense of, and then, and you'll listen to, like, the podcast series. Back in the mid-90s, Mark Driscoll kind of cast this vision of, like, being a different kind of church in the city, in the community of Seattle, Washington. And like, this is what we're gonna do. And it was very exciting and like, yeah, I wanna be a part of that. I wanna be a part of something different than what we've seen in other evangelical kind of circles. The problem is, is that that's what got people in the door. And then he kept them there because of the power and the control and the shame and the fear that he then would preach from the pulpit. And so if you have a history of trauma, which, by the way, if you don't even know you have a history of trauma, you already do, because you're a human being in the world, you maybe be just not aware of it yet, but we all have big T and little t traumas of various kinds, whether or not we consciously are aware of it or not. But for those of us who have known histories of trauma, this sense of belonging and acceptance is like on steroids, right? Because what happens to those of us who have had trauma is that we feel alone and like an outsider, and when there's a call to something more, for someone to feel safe, and they're, they're promising calmness, goodness, safety, heck yeah, sign me up. I'm into it. Absolutely. None of us set out <laughs> to, to sit under spiritually abusive leaders or to be a part of spiritually abusive communities. And yet, there's a lot of us in here and online who have found ourselves to be caught up in that. I mean, if I was born in 88, I was very much a part of the purity culture, right? Uh, and so if you were a part of that, like that already, like you've, you know, you've gone through some spiritual abuse, whether you know it or not. Um, but that's just what it was. But the biggest thing that's needed when we hear these things, and maybe even for our own stories, is to have grace and compassion. Because if we don't, right, like even me admitting Back in the day when Olivia's in college and trying to figure out what the heck she believes, I enjoyed Marjorie school. I thought he was cool. I'm like, oh, yeah, awesome. That's kind of embarrassing now, right? Like maybe a lot. I'm like, do I say that? Oh, my gosh. But But it's one thing to be like really judgy or judgmental of me. I'm like, oh, my gosh, Olivia, I can't believe that, right? But it's another thing to say, man, tell me more about that. How did that happen, right? Because who I am now, I can't fully understand who I am right now if I don't understand where I came from, the patterns that existed, the things that I was really into, why I chose to do certain things, why I chose to not do certain things. So if I can understand that, then I can understand, okay, where I am right now and also what I want to do about my future, where do I want to go. And so what do we, what do, we do about church hurt? This is probably the part of the talk where you're like, finally, this is what I came here for. But like, what do we do, right? If nothing else, this is the one thing that I would hope that you would find. Whether you find yourself still in the midst or tied up in a spiritually abusive community or you've separated from that long ago, maybe you're just kind of starting to dip your toes back in the water. I hope wherever you are, in your journey, that you can find someone who can sit with you and say, I can't possibly imagine what that must have been like, but I believe you, and I'm so sorry. Because for those of us who have found ourselves in spiritually abusive settings, do we not feel crazy? Like, I've even had this conversation with myself. I'm like, does it, no one else see this? <laughs> like, how am I the only one? I'm not like the special person that God's like, you know, shining a light on and like, Olivia, you're so blessed. No. But I feel like I'm the only one. And you probably did too. <laughs> you're like, what's wrong with me? I'm crazy. But you're not. And so when you can find someone to walk alongside of you and to say, I'm so sorry, I can't understand but I want to, and the darkness that, you, that is inside of you doesn't scare me because I'm well acquainted with the darkness inside of me. Remember what I said at the very beginning from Peter Levine, right, about trauma doesn't just happen to us, it stays inside of us and destroys everything in its path when there is not an empathetic witness to say, hey, you're not, You're not lying, I believe you, and I'm so sorry. If anything else, that would be my hope, for me, for you, and for us, that I think a lot could shift, if that and nothing else were the case. But of course there's some other stuff that are good too, right? Um, Because the overarching question, when we're walking out of these spiritually abusive settings, communities and situations, is how the heck do I rediscover the goodness of God? Also, is God good? I don't know, (laughs) right? Because the way that spiritual abuse works is it's this entangling of you pursuing Jesus and getting to know Jesus, but more than likely the Jesus that you thought you were getting to know isn't actually Jesus at all. It's the Jesus of that particular spiritual leader or spiritual community said, hey, this is Jesus because this feels comfortable and safe to us. And so when you leave that, you're like, well, if that's Jesus, I'm out. Right? And like also, yes, <laughs> I would want you to be out because that's not Jesus. Right? Right? This caricature of Jesus who's like this punitive father who likes to give spankings and whoopings because that's what good parents do. No, like, Jesus is good. And there's so much to be explored. I mean, we even sung about it, right, earlier, about the wonder of God. But what happens with spiritual abuse is it causes you to doubt everything. And rightly so, because of the harm that was wielded. And so, when you, if you find yourself, or really when you find yourself in the midst of this type of wilderness, I always like to refer to it as the the dark night of the soul, which if you haven't read that book, it's great. Um, super light reading for sure. Uh, I've read it like a couple of times throughout my life because, you know, I'm an angsty therapist. And I'm like, ah, <laughs> you know, doubts upon doubts, but... Uh, when you find yourself in the midst of this wilderness, again, whether you actually acknowledge it or not, you're going to go through it at least once in your life. And if you're extra blessed, it'll be like, you know, every couple of years, like I have found it to be true for myself. Um, you have to have a guide. So shameless plug, therapists are really cool. Not all therapists are created equal. You know, like I, I have my short, short, short list of like really good, good therapists here in St. Pete in Orlando. And uh, scattered throughout the U.S. too. Uh, but you have to have a therapist right, who understands this, the innocuous pieces of spiritual abuse or like a spiritual director, which that could feel even like, well, that's a little too scary, so like maybe just a therapist is cool. But you have to have someone to walk with you. Because again, I think, I think it'd be a real tragedy if you just you know, washed your hands, turned your back on all things jesus and said you know what that was so bad and so harmful all of it is garbage and you just peace out and you never deal with it again the problem is is that it will always be dealt with (laughs) because even when you're not dealing with it is you dealing with it (laughs) you know that it never actually goes away and that's the thing about trauma that it continues to live inside of you and wreak havoc on every part of your life and that's why so many of us are like why do i keep dating the same kind of person Why do I keep having these same dreams? Why do I keep coming up against the same thing over and over and over again? Well, whenever you suppress something or you run from something, it will always find you. Always. It might take a couple years. But then you'll find someone, hopefully like me, (laughs) or in someone's office, and you're like, okay, I've been running for too long, it's been 10 years, and can't run from it. Another thing that can also be really helpful, and maybe this is a very unpopular opinion considering that I'm standing in a church on a Sunday morning teaching, um, but it can be really helpful to take a sabbatical from church. And I know that people would probably be shocked to find out that I, as someone who loves Jesus and a mental health therapist, have prescribed people to stop going to church for a period of time. What I'm not saying is, is that you should stop going to church and do nothing and just, you know, send your PJs and try not to think about God or anything. There's an intentionality and awareness that comes with that. And so if you are finding yourself to feel unsafe and re-traumatizing yourself every single Sunday, maybe that you're going back to the same church, or you're going to a different church in the same kind of denomination because that's what you know and that's what feels comfortable, because chaos begets chaos, right? Right? And you're like, I should just try harder. I shouldn't be feeling this way. I shouldn't feel overwhelmed. They're nice people. Well, sorry, but you do. And you can continue to do should yourself to death, uh, but it's not going to take away the fact that your body is having some kind of a reaction. And so it can be really helpful for a season, again, to stop going to church. And for you to figure out who Jesus is to you, and to rediscover his goodness for you. I know for me for a, a good number of years, actually, I think right around the time when I first moved to St. Pete so like six years ago, um, I kind of I just stopped reading my Bible every morning at 6 a.m for 30 minutes with my pen and my inductive Bible study and all this kind of stuff, right? Because I grew up in the church, and that's what you do. like you set up like this like altar kind of a thing, and you're like, this is what I do, I have my coffee and I have my candle, and not incense, because that's woo-woo, and like, which now I'm like, light it up, I love incense, you know, uh, it's the revel in me, I guess, well, my mom's here, she's like, oh my gosh, um, no, but I really found myself, like, grinding against the sense of, like, what am I doing? I'm, like, doing this performative thing, and, like, it's not, I'm not actually reading anything, like, I would literally read, and then like Jonathan, my husband, like five minutes later, be like, oh, what would you read this morning? I'm like, who knows? Things. <laughs> and then it kind of dawned on me. I was like, why am I doing this? Well, because I was supposed to. It's what I should be doing. I'm a good Christian. So if I stop that, does that mean I'm not a good Christian? Well, I guess we found out, no. Um, but it was so helpful for me in that season of a couple years because I began to see Jesus in a different way that existed outside of that 30 minutes of reading my Bible. I'm not saying that reading your Bible is bad. <laughs> it's a good thing to do and to study and to be sub- subject yourself to the Word of God. That's a good thing. But I think a lot of times there's certain pieces of our faith that have been weaponized and have used as a performative kind of piece. And so if that's true for you take a break and if that like makes you really really uncomfortable (laughs) you should probably take a break um, from it at least be curious about what's coming up for you and then again community right you have to have good people around you so if you are taking a sabbatical from church or from serving or from reading your bible or doing whatever the thing might be tell someone you were not meant to live on an island In fact, we are hard-wired for connection with one another. Probably shouldn't still be connected to the people who were harming you, though. And that's really, really hard because, again, those communities and those churches and that leader weren't all bad, and that's what makes things super confusing. It's because there was good elements of that. But you have to find good people to surround yourself with even now Who can ask you hard questions, who aren't afraid to show up for you. And it also could mean that you might need to seek out a different faith community. Maybe forever, maybe not for forever, maybe for a period of time until your body feels more settled and feels more safe. Um, But I can't tell you how many people I've sat with in my therapy office who've had to not go to church for a year or two or more because of the trauma that they endured. And that's okay, because Jesus is right alongside of them saying, yeah, don't do that. That's not me. Don't go back to that. I want you to discover me. Find me again. One of my really good buddies from um, college, who is now like, you know, I guess some prolific author. I don't really know. She's still just Katie Jo to me. But she goes by K.J. Ramsey. She writes a lot uh, on spiritual abuse and church hurt. and she and her husband, I've actually been a part of two separate churches on staff that were very spiritually abusive. Um, And so um, she says this. She says, may you know that no one can revoke your invitation to the body of Jesus Christ. No one can uninvite you to the feast of God's love. If you are wondering if you'll ever feel welcomed and safe in church again, may your hope rise tenderly, slowly, and surely that you still belong. The band wants to start coming up. I had no, like, really cool Q word or anything. I should have really come up with that. I think I've said that the last couple of times, but But here's the thing. The gospel is really good news that we are more broken and messed up than we can ever imagine, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done in and through us, that we are more loved, adored, and accepted than we can possibly imagine. And I know that might even be triggering for some of you, and that's okay. The good news is that Jesus won't leave you there, that just as much as you want to find him again, he also wants to find you, and that, to me, is really stinking good news, because it's not all up to me, and that's really awesome. I want to close with this prayer that Katie Jo put on her Facebook recently. And um, it was just, gosh, it's so beautiful, and I hope that it's really helpful for you as much as it was to me. Um, so pray with me. Trauma shatters parts of ourselves, but there is nothing that trauma has shattered that God is not presently holding together. No part of you is lost. There is no weakness to recurring for Christ to care for. There is no part of you that is beyond the reach of Christ's care. He is patient, and he is present. Christ is holding us together by the power of his spirit, wrapping scarred hands securely around the most shattered pieces of our stories, carrying them with care because he chose to be shattered first and placing them perfectly alongside his own into a mosaic of glory. Your hope does not lie in being strong enough to hold the weight of your own story. Your hope is in being held who you once were and who you are right now, when you are most triumphant and when you are most triggered, along with who you will become. They are all held together in the tender hands of the God who chose to be shattered by trauma so that your past and your present will become a future of love. Every part of you is presently held. Hear me when I say this, that faith is not mustering up courage to no longer be broken faith is practicing the courage to name even your broken pieces as beloved. Amen.